Hey Lifehouse, my name is Brock, I'm part of the team here. We are currently going through our new series, Light and Love, where we look into the scriptures of John. We're so glad you're joining us. We hope you enjoy the message from Pastor Josh and the team. Fantastic. That's so good to see God moving powerfully in, in Galwa. That's fantastic. It's good to hear from those guys. Um, but what about you guys? How are you guys going today? Good. Oh, that's good. I want to wish you all a very good morning. And Brock. Um, I just wanted to, uh, to yeah, welcome you to, to part three of, sorry, part four? Three, four, four. Uh, the final part of our Light and Love series. I hope you find today's message enlightening. Yeah, that's, that's the standard for today. We're going to hopefully go up from there. Um, but yeah, I, I want to be quite honest. So the message I prepared today, well, prepared yesterday slash today, um, for today is a bit challenging, I think. Um, I've certainly been challenged by it, and I think there's some... Um, some concepts that, that I felt God wanted me to share that are pretty big, and I think they're pretty core to, um, to what we believe. And so I just wanted to, I guess, uh, prepare you guys for that, just to be ready to be challenged. Um, this morning, I'm wanting to read from John chapter 9. Uh, there's this account of Jesus performing this miracle and healing a blind man by rubbing some mud in his eyes, and it's, it's a classic story. I know a lot of you will know it. Um, but more than just the miracle, it, it then goes on to kind of describe the, the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the time, investigating this and, and seeing what actually happened. And it's really interesting to see it from their point of view. Um, but I feel like this passage covers a lot of other ideas that we might not kind of immediately associate with this story. Ideas like punishment, fairness, bravery worth, sarcasm, there's sarcasm in there as well, it's great, but I'm really hoping that, just like in the story, how Jesus opened that man's eyes, I'm hoping that this morning, eyes would be opened here and, and for the people online, that, that we would come to see something new today, that we come to understand something new today, uh, because I feel like Jesus has something to say to you this morning, and um, in preparing for today, I've had this phrase on my mind, um, the phrase, see the light, Anyone heard that phrase like they, you know, Walter was an idiot, but then he saw the light, you know, like kind of like this realization kind of thing. So I feel like there's going to be some, some new understanding, some fresh awakening today. Does that sound all right? Awesome. All right. So I just want to encourage you, if anything resonates with you this morning, if, if you feel like anything kind of stands out and you think, wow, that, that's, that's me, I, I just encourage you to hold on to that. And bring it to Jesus and see what he has to say about it. So I'm going to just start off in prayer because, you know, we're not here to hear from me. We're here to hear from God. Amen. So uh, if you'd bow your heads with me, I'd love to, love to pray. Heavenly Father, we just invite you into this place this morning. Holy Spirit, just fill this place, God. Lord, we, we want to hear from you today. We, we ask that you would be speaking to every heart, every mind, every soul, every ear in this place, God. We just want to press in to hear what you have to say, God. And, and even if it's challenging, even if it's not what we want to hear, God, we know that what you have to say shapes our lives, that your words 
are worth more than, than anything else, God. So, so we just want to hear from you this morning. We invite you in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to launch straight into Scripture from John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. Uh, we're going to probably get more Scripture intensive as, as we go through the morning, so I hope that's all right. So John 9, 1 to 3 says, As he, that's Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, what the disciples are getting at there is, is they're kind of taking this idea that, well, we know that God rewards the good and punishes the wicked. And so they're taking that idea and they're applying it to the situation. You know, I'm sure they've seen this guy before, old Billy Bob the blind beggar, right? He's probably been there for years. And, and they, they see him and they say, oh, Jesus, while, while you're here, this guy's been blind since birth. That's not a good thing. So it must be a punishment of some kind. Because he's blind since birth, like maybe it wasn't something he did. Maybe it was something his parents did. Can you, can you explain this for us? And Jesus says, no, that's not what it's about. It's not a, it's not a punishment for, for some sin. It's, it's actually an opportunity. It's, you know, this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I think this is something that a lot of us probably believe deep down, whether, whether consciously or not, but I think we all kind of have this ingrained sense that, you know, punishment and reward should be earned. But that's not necessarily biblical. I think we've got the wrong idea of good and bad. As a kid, one time uh, my siblings and I came in to have dinner. And we sat down, and our parents came in and said, all right, now, no one's going to eat, and no one's going to get up and leave. We're all just going to sit here because someone stole a packet of chips. Now, I don't know exactly what, I think it was stole a packet of chips, something like that. But, you know, one of you have done something, so, so you're all going to sit here, none of you are going to eat, none of you are going to leave, until the culprit confesses. All right? So that's what we'd driven our parents to at the time. And... Um, just so you know, this is called corp corporal punishment, and it's actually banned by the Geneva Convention. So, you know, because it's not really fair to, to punish everyone for one person's wrongdoing. But it does two things, right? One, it, now the guilty person, whoever that is, is responsible for the well-being of the group, which means that they're more likely to confess out of loyalty to their fellows, you know? There's just that pressure, there's that weight of, oh man, like everyone else is getting punished, I should, I should confess, you know. But the other thing it does is it tells the guilty person, they don't know who you are yet. If you hold out, maybe you'll get away with it. And so we sat there for a long time. My, parent, my, my family can be quite stubborn when they want to be, so we, we sat and we sat and we waited and waited until finally... I confessed that I'd stolen the chips. But it was just like a slap on the wrist. And, but, but for my siblings, like, they had to sit there and they had to wait for dinner. And it wasn't fair because they hadn't done anything. And I'm sure at some point, each of them would have inwardly kind of thought that, that classic thing, like, what did I do to deserve this, you know? What did I do to deserve this? And I'm sure that's something that we've all kind of thought at some point. 
We've gone through some situation and we thought, oh man, what did I do to deserve this? And you know, for many of you, it was probably more serious than waiting for dinner. Maybe for some of you, it's like car broke down. What did I do to deserve this? Medical diagnosis. What did I do to deserve this? Relationship breakdown. What did I do to deserve this? Loved one passes away, can't have kids. What did I do to deserve this? There's so many different situations that I know many people in this room will be going through right now and you're probably thinking, what did I do to deserve this? And I think when we say that, or when we think that, what we're actually saying is, how is this fair? Because if we did deserve that, we'd probably be like, oh, fair enough. But we've got this, this core belief that, you know, that the universe operates on some basis of fairness. That if something bad is happening to me, it must, I must have done something to earn that, otherwise it's not fair. So, my first point for you today is going to seem insensitive, and most of you aren't going to like it, and something my parents said to me a lot when I was growing up. Point number one, life's not fair. Life's not fair yet. It will be. We're promised that the good will be rewarded, that wicked will be punished, justice will be served, but not yet. It's not promised during this temporary life. The time is coming. We'll all get what's coming for us, but not yet. And so we've actually got to let go of some expectations. We've got to be prepared to do what is right, whether things go well or not. We've got to stop hoping that the people who hurt us will get punished because, like, maybe they will one day, but not yet. So we have to forgive and we have to keep doing what's right, even when things don't go well for us. All right, so we keep reading. John 9, 4 to 7. This is Jesus speaking. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, when Jesus is saying, like, I am the light of the world, darkness is coming, he's literally kind of referring to day and night, right? In this modern era, we kind of forget that nighttime is a big deal. When the light's gone, you can't just keep working. Like, sure, you can light a fire, but anyone tried studying by candlelight? It's not fun. Eyes get really strained. There was a bunch of problems back when candles were first invented. Anyway, they, you know, when, when the light's gone, you have to stop. You just, you go home, that's it. <laughs> Run out of time. And so what Jesus is saying is, you know, while I'm in the world, we've got the light, we can do the work, but I'm not going to be around forever. There's got to be a new way when I'm gone. All right, but while I'm here, we can do great stuff. So he, he heals the man, right? Um, for this next point, I need some audience participation. I'm looking front row because you guys kind of signed up for this when you sat down. Someone wearing white is ideal. So Michaela or JL? Well, JL's busy. Michaela, would you like to come up? <laughs> Big hand for Michaela, please. 
All right. So I've got some dirt here. And let's read. What did he say? He spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva. All right. All right. He made some mud. What's next? He put it on the man's eyes. You notice the recoil? All right. So, do you notice your own recoil? Is anyone, is anyone here going like, yeah, do it? Or, or is some part of you... <laughs> Josh is like, yeah. yeah. Is some part of you thinking, oh, don't do that. Listen to that part. That part's important. There's a part of each of you saying, that's gross. We don't want this to happen. I wouldn't want it to happen to myself, right? Michaela's definitely feeling it. You can sit down, Michaela. Thank you. <laughs> but what I'm getting at here is we think mud in the eye is a bad thing. None of you would want me to come up, spit in some dirt and rub it in your eye, would you? Really? No, we don't like that. That's kind of gross. It's uncomfortable. It's unclean. It's unpleasant. We think mud in the eye is a bad thing. But for this guy, mud was a means to a miracle. And I just want to say, sometimes the best way is something we don't like. Sometimes God's going to expect us to do things we don't want to do. And in life, that's quite practical. It makes sense. You know, if you want money, you have to go and work for it. Even Centrelink, like you do enough paperwork, you might as well be an accountant. Like you've got to do work to get the money, right? Or if you, if you want muscle, you've got to work out. Working out hurts. I hate it. But there's growth from that. If you want to go out and build something, you've actually got to go out there and do it. It's hard manual labor. I like to say that I'm allergic to manual labor. It doesn't usually work. But, you know, we don't like doing hard things. But usually, the best way involves doing stuff we don't like. And so, point number two today is do hard things. Drawing closer to Jesus requires letting go of our comfort. It, um, you know... It means doing things and, and sometimes being a little brave, being prepared to do stuff that we don't want to do. We've got to do hard things. You know, we, we think, well, the, the human condition naturally thinks that contentment is good and that comfort is good and that, you know, I've lost my place. That when we, you know, if we're, if we're comfortable, if we're safe, that's a good thing. And that if we're trying to grow, if we're, if we're getting kind of pushed beyond what we're naturally used to, that's not good. And we, we shy away from it and we don't like it. But Jesus has a different standard. You know, we've got the wrong idea of good and bad. So we've got to do what's best, not what's going to make us happy. 
I'm at a kind of weird age and maybe you never grow out of it. Anyone older than 23, let me know. But I've got these vivid memories of being a kid and not wanting to do schoolwork and just wanting to go out and play. But I've also, you know, I see young people now with that same issue, not wanting to do schoolwork, just wanting to go out and play. And I think, just do it. You know, like, I, I remember not wanting to, but I know that just do the hard stuff. It's worth it. At least it's done, you know. But then you grow, and then you can go out and play. But it's worth doing the hard things. And it's not all about, you know, muscles or work. Like, there's more complex things that we're going to have to do. How do you build a relationship? How do you rebuild a relationship? Sometimes you've got to have a hard conversation. How do you deal with guilt? Sometimes you've got to confess. That's not easy. What about pain? Sometimes you've got to forgive or apologize. It's hard. But it's worth it. We have to do hard things. But here's the thing. The reason they're hard is because our priority is comfort. When we swap from comfort to being loving, suddenly it's so natural to go and have that conversation. Suddenly it's so natural to trust, to forgive, to apologize. If we're aiming to be comfortable, then all the good stuff for us is hard. But if we're aiming to be loving, then it all suddenly falls into place. When we start upholding trust, forgiveness, honesty, it all gets a lot easier. All right, so we keep reading. From those who had to 12, this is talking about uh, the guy who'd just been healed. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Now, it's actually, it's missing from John's account. But the first question they actually asked this guy was, how many fingers am I holding up? You know, because if someone who was blind came and said, I, I can see now, you'd be like, mm, really? Let me test that. And, you know, it's interesting. Like, people notice growth. If you walked up to, to just anyone, if you turned to the person next to you and said, how many fingers am I holding? Like, it's just kind of weird. But for someone who had been blind, this is new. They're, they're seeing things they've never seen before. And you get excited about that. You know, um, Peter Borman, our fabulous production manager at the back. Come on. He's, uh, he's colorblind and in charge of lights. What's with that? But a few months ago, he, uh, he got these glasses <laughs> that let him see colour. And it's amazing. And, and so, you know, I saw a rainbow the other day and I, I ran up to him and was like, hey, can you see that? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's what that looks like. And he went on with his day. But, like, I was just so excited because I knew that, wow, he's seeing things he's never seen before. And I'm sure for this guy... You know, the people that had known him his whole life, they would be excited that he was seeing things he'd never seen before. And they wanted to know, like, how did this happen? A guy called Jesus, did you see where he went? No, I was blind at the time. Made it tricky. <laughs> but 
All he could do is give credit to Jesus. That's all he could do. And I think that's okay. Sometimes all we can do is give glory to God. But look at what happened when he did. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened, the man replied. Sorry, the man replied, he is a prophet. He's a man from God. But do you notice how they're still referring to him by the problem that he used to have? They're calling him the man who had been blind, the blind man. He's not blind anymore. He's the miracle receiver. He's the I met Jesus guy. But they're referring to him by the problem that he used to have. Sometimes when you grow, sometimes when you strive for more, people are going to try to push you back into the box that they're used to. And so we've got to be prepared for that. We've got to be ready to, to stand firm in, nope, this is the direction I'm going. You know, I'm going to be better. I'm going to grow. I'm going to do what I think is right. And no matter what they call you, no matter what they, they try to push you back into, no matter how they try to identify you, you just got to know that, you know, your identity isn't in what people say of you. We keep reading. 18 to 25. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one who was born blind? How is it now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. But he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. There's kind of three groups of people in this story. There's the Pharisees who are questioning and doubting and accusing. There's the parents who are just kind of staying out of it, trying not to get involved, trying to not get in trouble. Then there's the person himself who's standing firm on what he knows is true. And notice he's not afraid to say what he doesn't know. I don't know who he was. I don't know where he came from. I don't know where he's going. But this is what I do know. I was blind but now I see. That's his testimony and no one can deny that. We've all got a testimony. We were all one way and then Jesus happened and now we're another way. Now we're different. And no one can, can take that from you. Some stories are, you know, maybe more attention grabbing than others, but we've all got a before and after a Jesus encounter. And I just want to encourage you just to recognize what that is in yourself. Because when it comes down to it, we don't need to know all the big questions. We just need to know that I was... Keep reading. Then they asked him, what did he do? 
How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And this is the sarcasm that I mentioned earlier. The man answered, now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. You were steeped in sin at birth. How many notice that that's the same misconception that the disciples had right at the start? Oh, you, you know, you're a sinner. God hates you. He cursed you from birth. But what was Jesus' response again? Neither he nor his parents sinned. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And when we read that, the works of God, we might think, all right, so he was born blind so that Jesus could do a miracle. But it's, it's more than that. See, Jesus was explaining that to his disciples, the guys that had been following him around, learning from him, noting things down, right? And this is something he'd said to them earlier. It's two chapters ago for us in John 6, 29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That man was born blind so that through him people might believe in Jesus. It was to give him a testimony. It was to give him something that would lead people to Christ. And maybe you've been blaming something for your misfortune and maybe that very thing is something that God wants to use for his glory. Sometimes we get the wrong idea of good and bad, but Jesus wants us to see the light. And the only way to see the light is to encounter his love. You know, that man spent his whole life thinking he was cursed. He knew what people said. Thinking that God hated him thinking that he was lesser, thinking that God chose everyone except for him. But then Jesus came along. Then Jesus came along. And he said, no, you've been chosen the whole time. The very thing you thought was a curse was placed there so that the works of God might be displayed in you. Maybe you thought you, were, you didn't have enough to give. Maybe you thought you'd never be free. Maybe you thought that God didn't love you, that he'd overlooked you, that he'd forgotten about you, or maybe just didn't care. Maybe you felt like God was calling everyone except for you. But I've got to tell you this morning, he chose you before you were born. He loved you before you ever messed up, and he never changed his mind about you that we get the wrong idea of good and bad. Those things you see as flaws, God sees opportunities. Where we see weakness, God sees an opening to show His strength. The situations that we might think are, are oppressive and all against us, maybe, maybe that's something that God wants to use for His glory. So my final point today is that where we see less, God sees more.
It's in the darkness that light shines brightest. And I'm not saying choose darkness so that light's more evident. I'm saying that when we choose light, it's in our weakness, it's in our flaws. It's in our brokenness that that light shines most clearly. That when we allow the light and love of God to shine through us, we get the right perspective on good and bad. That it's not about us being whole. It's about God's glory. I'm going to struggle to do this with one hand, but we'll see how we go. So I've got here a broken vessel. And this represents our brokenness. But what God does when He comes into our lives, if we can have the lights dimmed a little. I didn't try this, so you might not be able to see it very well. But the light shines through the cracks and the holes and the brokenness. Can we see that? And I just feel like this is an image of how we're meant to be. That We shouldn't be hiding our brokenness from each other. We should be letting God's glory shine through. That good and bad isn't about us being perfect. It's about His strength in our weakness. That when God's light shines through us. Our brokenness isn't a bad thing. It's just where Jesus shines most brightly. And you know, light and dark can't coexist. You can't have both together. It just doesn't work. But God wanted to be with us even though we were broken. So He sent His Son to actually take that brokenness upon Himself, to become that brokenness, to become the very thing that His Father's nature would cast out. That light casts out darkness, perfect love casts out fear. He became the things that His Father would cast out so that we could be in the light, so that we could stand here today in His presence and worship Him. And so as we do that, as the band comes up, I just want to encourage all of you to remember why He did it. As we're told so beautifully in John 3:16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. We thank You for Your love. We thank You that we don't have to be perfect, that You were perfect for us, that we don't need to fear Your judgment because You took that for us. God, that You've done everything so that no matter what situation we're in, no matter how bad it feels, we know that if we let your light shine through that, that you will be glorified. And that even as we struggle through this temporary life, we know that in the next life, we are rewarded for your goodness. 
if we choose you. So God, we just choose you now. Jesus, we choose you. We ask you to be central to our lives. Holy Spirit, we choose you to every day encourage us to draw closer and closer to you, to let go of our comfort and our contentment, to do hard things, to to forgive when we don't feel like it, to love our enemies, to bear our cross daily. Because we know that what we see as less, you see more. We thank you, Lord. We praise you and your beautiful name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us for our Lifehouse Sunday service. We hope that you enjoyed the message. If you wish to respond today, please go to life.house and click on My Response. There you can share a prayer request or let our team know that you made a decision to follow Jesus. We love that you're online with us, but we really want to see you here with us in person in the flesh, 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. Can't wait to see you.